Welcome to the Science of Parenting podcast, where we connect you with research-based information that fits your family. We'll talk about the realities of being a parent and how research can help guide our parenting decisions. I'm Mackenzie Johnson, parent of two littles with their own quirks, and I'm a parenting educator. And I'm Lori Hanks, parent of three in three different life stages, launched college and high school, and I'm also a parenting educator. And today we are going to continue our conversations around temperament, Mm -hmm. but we have something special for you today. We have taken the liberty, I suppose you could say this, (laughs) and brought in a special guest who is going to share with Mm -hmm. us particularly on one topic, and that topic is sleep. Oh, yes. We knew we could not talk about temperament without talking about the special impact that it has on sleep. And uh, our guest, you know, has done research and works professionally and has personal experience on the way that temperament impacts sleep. And we, uh, we had such a good conversation with her. She is so great. Oh, excellent. Well, Mm. I'm excited to share, but first let's take a minute to remind ourselves what temperament is and what Mm -hmm. temperament isn't. So remember temperament is our predisposition to how we react. It goes way back to the beginning and it's always been there since the beginning of our life. So the question you might have is, well, how is temperament different from personality? Here's the deal. Temperament is that foundation that we build everything else on. So Mm -hmm. we start with temperament. We build on our age development. We build on top of that our life experiences, how our family and our environment respond to our temperament and all those things together end up becoming part of our personality. And Mm -hmm. it's always been there is essentially the bottom line. Temperament has always been there. Yes. And there's been a lot of great research on temperament over the last uh, 30 plus years. You know, we talk a lot about the nine traits that Thomas and Chess originally um, did. There's also lots of research from James Cameron and his colleagues at Kaiser Permanente. And really, they followed thousands of kids' temperament profiles in their research. And what we find is that everybody has these same nine traits. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of figuring out if we got a little of it or got a lot. And so as we think about this idea of sleep and temperament, the amount we got of each trait can play an impact on whether we're a light sleeper or a heavy sleeper, whether that baby was easy to get to sleep or hard to get to sleep and all of those things. So we know that temperament and the research behind it helps us better understand this particular sleep behavior. So as you likely remember, we are compiling our list of temperament resources on our website um, at thescienceofparenting.org. So you can go there, check out temperament profiles, check out resources, from all the episodes that we've covered so far. And of course, there will be more to come throughout this season. So our special guest today is McCall Gordon. McCall has been researching and writing about sleep training research and advice for over 20 years. She is a senior lecturer in the counseling psychology department of Antioch University in Seattle, where she received her graduate degree. And she started on this journey after her own experience with two amazing Sensitive, intense, young children who didn't sleep ever. Yes, yes. And so, yes, I did get to sit down and have a conversation with McCall talking all about the research behind temperament and sleep and what traits affect it and the strategies she has seen over time in her professional and personal experience on this topic. And she's done studies with parents on it and just 
she was. She was such a joy to talk to. She was so excited to share her information with parents. So it was great. Awesome. Well, let's see what McCall has to say. Well, hey, everybody. We are so excited to be here today on the Science of Parenting podcast. We have our first guest here, McCall Gordon, and she's here to talk with us about temperament and sleep, which is like, oh, there is so much goodness to share today. I'm so excited for people to hear it. Um, so uh, McCall, as you know, we like to share things on the science of parenting from a lens of research and reality. And you have quite a bit of your own reality on this particular topic. Can you tell us about that? <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I came to this, my, my kids are young adults now, so I've kind of got the long view of things. Um, and, uh, I came to this because um, my first child just came out of the gate on like <laughs> laser focus eyes. And I remember going, that's not normal, is it? I, but I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know. Um, and she continued to be like that. I mean, she had colic. Uh, she mm. was just so alert, so engaged. I mean, I remember her at like two months and I, I think she was getting bored. Like I'd walk her around <laughs> the apartment to look at stuff and we'd get come back to the beginning and I'd be like, again, this isn't normal. Like, aren't they just mm. supposed to be kind of like sitting there sleepy? Never, never, never. Oh. Um, and that, and that really never stopped. And so, mm -hmm. uh, of course, working on sleep was impossible. Um, I knew, I knew that, uh, well, at that time there was crying it out or gut it out. And mm. I was like, I'm, I'm not going to do crying it out because I, I don't think I can do it. Cause guess yeah. what? I think I'm also sensitive and intense. Yes. <laughs> Shocker. Um, Weird. Alert, right. Um, I, 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 I don't think I can do it. And, mm. and I knew that if I tried it, she would cry for three solid hours and never give up ever, mm. ever, ever. So I was like, well, yes. I guess I'm just stuck. I'm literally just stuck. And it's also something I tell parents that I don't recommend because I know there were many days where I was like, um, I, I don't think I'm, a, is this worth it? Like, I'm not a good mom today. I am not mm. a good, I'm not a good human being today oh. because I am so, because the other thing is I had a second child 20 months later. <laughs> yeah. And so, so I had two, really. two non-sleeping kids, right? And I, I can't recommend just waiting it out either. So that was probably a good lesson. So I, um, you know, over the years was really understanding how temperament affected sleep. Technically, although I totally blame myself. I was like, <sighs> oh, we're just not doing it right. I'm just weak. Um... I'm just whatever. Um, so I've really kind of been there, done that whole yeah. thing. Uh, which is helpful. Well, and so driving a lot of your passion, you know, yeah. in the research that you've done and on this topic and wanting to share it with parents, you're like, I have been in this place where sleep is like this battle that feels like I'm losing. And I will, I have been I, like, maybe not to the same extreme that you've shared. Um, but I did, I struggled with it. And just like this idea of I'm doing all this wrong. Like the sleep I shame concept. Like and I can't do this. To... Why isn't my baby sleeping? Yeah. Because I'm bad at this. Like, Or you ugh. try what the books say and the books say, well, you do this and then this will happen. And you do that thing. And that mm -hmm. other thing does not happen. 
And then maybe you try it again and it still doesn't happen. And then you go, I, I must suck as a parent. I don't know. I don't know what the deal is. Yes. Um, you know, and I also, the other piece of like having lived this, I think is that I really know how hard parents try. These parents aren't like sitting back and doing nothing. They are trying yes. everything in the book and nothing mm -hmm. works. So that when they go to their pediatrician and they say, my kid isn't sleeping. And the pediatrician just says, well, you just got to let him cry. They probably resorted to that. They've probably done that and it didn't work. So then they're really alone and, you know, frustrated. Mm -hmm. by, or by even life. being told, you know, I think, you know, we talk about that every parent gets to decide about what's best for their own reality. If you knowing as a parent that you are highly sensitive and highly intense and you have low persistence, right? And so like the idea of, you know, the most extreme end of crying it out being lay them down, shut that door, don't open it till mm -hmm. morning. Mm -hmm. Like those, even some of those milder versions of cry it yeah. out don't feel like work. they fit well for you and your parenting. Right. And we you know the other piece is that there's a little bit of, um, you know, there's some people who don't have another room for the baby yeah. or they have neighbors upstairs or they're living yes. with their in-laws. And there, so there are situations where it just doesn't work. It's just not doable. And, and yeah, we can talk all day about how really parents need choices. And, and it yeah. really, it really is true for um, people who have fussy babies or unsettled babies. They really need another option, but we'll, we'll, I think we'll, right, we'll get there, right? <laughs> we'll get there. Okay. So thinking about, you know, you said some babies are fussier or, you know, season three of science of parenting, we're talking all about temperament. And so can we talk a little about what traits do you see that maybe have the biggest, you know, have big impact on sleep? Okay, well, which of them don't is the, <laughs> is, the, is the main question. So first we should talk about the idea that every child, every human being has temperament, right? We all yes. do. We all, and there's all these different aspects some people will say there's a few more, some a few mm -hmm. less, you know, they call them different things, whatever. But generally when, when I see where temperament impacts sleep is where mm -hmm. kids have are just more on mm -hmm. some or, well, usually not all, but many. <laughs> so there are some kids who are more on just about every aspect. They're just more. Yes. Yeah, so um, we talk about the little or a lot and they got a lot. And these are a lot. <laughs> or very, very. A lot, right. <laughs> So when we talk about temperament, the way it impacts sleep, let's just think about what it takes to go to sleep, right? Mm -hmm. We, um, and those of us who are light sleepers, or I mean, what does that even mean, right? Oh, I'm a light sleeper. Well, what does that mean, really? What we, what we usually mean is that it doesn't take much to wake me up. It's mm -hmm. hard for me to go to sleep. It's hard for me to go back to sleep. I need a certain set of conditions in order to go to sleep. I need white noise on. It can't be too hot. It can't be too cold. Uh, I have to wear certain things because other things are bunchy and wrinkly and are annoying or whatever. I have to have all the hair off my neck and face because it drives me crazy. And my pillowcase has to be super smooth and, you know, wrinkles, you know, all of that. That's all sensitivity. Um, yes. And then you need to be able to filter stuff out so that you can go to sleep. Well, all that speaks to a threshold, right? A, the barrier between unconscious and conscious. And if you're uh, alert, sensitive, intense, whatever, that, that threshold, number one, is lower 
than mellower people and it's thinner than mellower people. I mean, we know those babies. We, we all have heard, I've heard tell, I didn't have one, but we've all heard tell of those babies that will just sleep. They'll just conk out anywhere, any place, middle of a rock concert. Well, maybe shouldn't be a rock concert, but you know what I mean? Like anywhere, they'll just conk out. Um, they're kind of like, yeah, whatever, I'm good. So they, they have a really great barrier. Yeah, they have a really big barrier to the world and they can just go to sleep. So kids who have this lower sensory threshold, um, what tends to go with that is also like a desire to interact, perceptiveness, mm. they notice things. They also are usually socially really engaged, like they really mm. crave interaction. So all of that stuff works together to make Absolutely. sleep very difficult, even at tiny, tiny young ages. Um, yeah. I mentioned my daughter being so alert and like bored in two months. <laughs> I mean, she was like that. She just didn't. And I hear this from tons of parents. Mm -hmm. um, it's like the, they, the even these little tiny babies don't want to give up the world in order to go to sleep. Mm. So it takes so much more work to get them willing yes. and able to go to sleep. Like I've had people with little babies who ha have to go into a dark room, like pitch black, because if mm -hmm. it's not dark, dark, the baby is just like looking at them the whole time. <laughs> I've yes. had other parents where I say, look, I know this is going to sound bonkers, but you have to take down all the decorations on the mm -hmm. walls in the nursery because it's, it's like, you know, visual catnip for these kids. They don't mm -hmm. want to disengage and, and part of that, then we're talking about a little bit about persistence as well. Mm -hmm. Like they persist, they persist. Like, they I'm going to stay awake. <laughs> I'm going to stay awake. Yes. hundred percent. Yes. Um, later we'll talk about awake windows and why that's such a challenge mm -hmm. for these kids. We'll talk about that um, mm -hmm. as kind of a magic thing yes. uh, and also a way that parents, it's a trap kind of because these kids will never, they'll never admit to being tired ever, mm -hmm. ever, ever. They will persist. I remember referring to my daughter. I remember referring to her when she was little, little as like a FOMO baby, like a fear oh. of missing out. We'd be at family gatherings and it was like, she, she won't sleep. Like she won't yeah. because yeah. I have to be with everybody. I got to see it. But I am absolutely that way. I don't, when we're with our families, like when we could all be together, you know, at holiday gatherings before, you know, this whole pandemic, my husband would always go take the kids to like go for a nap because I'm like, I can't, what if something funny is said and I miss yeah, it? <laughs> I know. I know. Well, there's that. Um, yeah. FOMO baby. That's, I mean, uh, we could talk about a checklist of things that these parents will say. Yeah. And it's, it's the FOMO is one of them. And the other one, mm -hmm. the other term is energizer bunny. Oh, just keeps yes. going, just keeps going, just keeps going. FOMO baby. Uh, I can't even tell you how many parents use that. Really? And so it must be tr totally true. Yeah, they're oh, they're worried they're going to miss something, so they don't want to go to sleep. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so you started to say, um, was it persistence and yeah, activity? Persistence. Yeah, so well, yeah, persistence. So persistence is really important because um, any with these kids, any change you make, they will notice, and mm. they will try every trick in the book to not have to make that change. These kids mm -hmm. uh, that this speaks, to, so you can already tell that some of these traits and the repercussions of them kind of overlap, right? Yes. So now yes. persistence overlaps with the adaptability question, like how easily do they shift gears? How easily mm -hmm. will they accept a disruption to their routine? Mm -hmm. So these more kids um, 
tend to really hate change. I always say it's like trying to turn a semi truck, like, okay, we're going to do this. Other <laughs> All thing. together now. <laughs> oh, come on. Um, yeah. Like that. So you, so let's pretend you have a sleepless infant mm-hmm. and you want to, ch- you want to say, okay. And this is where these intense kids push parents. Okay. I usually bounce you on the ball for an hour to get mm. you to sleep. I don't want to bounce on the ball for an hour anymore. So we're going to do something a little tiny differently, you know, little, mm-hmm. little differently. These kids will put up a, just to any change. They, they'll put up mm. generally a huge fight and it will take longer to actually change that behavior than with mellower kids. Mellower kids may throw up a flare. They'll go, ah, I don't get this. I don't like it. I don't like it. Yes. Okay. Whatever. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. These kids do not. And, um, and it takes more consistency for longer periods to get them to change their behavior. But once you make that turn, they also recognize patterns pretty efficiently. They mm. actually, these kids tend to really key into patterns of behavior and then they'll fall into place a little bit more, even more solidly. Um, but boy, that that period of trying to get them to turn a corner is super hard. Yes. Um, so you have persistence and intensity and and and, and you know adaptability problems tying together. Yes. In just one small, and this is I'm talking about one small change. Their parents are hit with the trifecta of behavior, <laughs> and then parents are like, "Oh, okay, gosh, never mind. That that was yes. horrible. I'm not doing that again." Yeah. <laughs> right. So, yes. um, so it's, it's not surprising that parents of these intense kids, uh, are really perplexed about sleep mm-hmm. because they feel like they've tried everything and they probably have, but they're met with often so much resistance and so much intensity and pushback. And usually without much improvement that what happens with parents is they bail too early. Yes. Yes. Well, and the reaction, yeah, from an intense baby being so strong, um, you know, and so it's just like, okay, something is, this isn't right. Right. Uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. And I don't, I wouldn't, I mean, I was probably like that too, without somebody to say, look, this is normal. This is totally normal. If you just stick with Mm -hmm. it for like two more nights, it won't be this bad, Mm -hmm. you know? So we can, we can talk about what that really means, but I really think that the the cycle that happens is a parent tries something they get a ton like more put like way more pushback than they thought yes. they bail on it then they go try something else which tends to with these kids um when they're thrown off when they don't know what the boundaries are what the predictable mm-hmm. patterns are going to be um it throws them even more and then that second attempt at something new is worse than the first one. So parents oh. go, well, that's not working either. So now I'm going to try this third thing. Yes. And by that time, this child is completely topsy-turvy. The parents are topsy-turvy. Yes. It, and everybody really... just wants to sleep. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> like, I just I need know. sleep. <laughs> I know. And that's yes. the other piece that, you know, my heart, I mean, I, I lived it. So I really know the inside, but, but as a, as a sleep coach, it's so hard to tell parents when they finally get to me that it's going to get worse before it gets better because these parents are often so worn out 
so shell-shocked. And I, I really don't use that word lightly. It's almost like yes. they have PTSD around crying. Like they just, you can just feel them like, you know, mm-hmm. flinch. Um, they are so exhausted emotionally and mentally and physically that to say it's going to get worse, it's like they can't do worse. Yes. So those cases, it really is, uh, it's really rough. And we, and, and we can talk later about how parents can, you can try to break things up into sort of manageable bites. Mm -hmm. Um, and and we can talk about how to do that, but, but I really feel for parents, like it's not a matter of them not wanting to do something or being weak, right? No, I hate that. It's like, no, no, no. You don't know what you're up against. (laughs) Yes. Okay. So I want to recap on these temperament traits really quick before I move on. So, and some kids might have lots of these, right? Like more traits and some might be just, yeah. And some might just have like, your child tends to be particularly sensitive, but maybe isn't as intense. So that's, you use the word constellation. I've heard you say that. And I love that. You might get this constellation of a lot of this or a little of that. Right. And so, yes, as you listen to, um, you you talked about a low sensory threshold, high persistence, high intensity, high perceptiveness yeah. or distractibility, and right. then low adaptability. Right. Um, so you might have right. just like one or two or maybe all five, you know, uh-huh. you uh-huh. might get a mix of these things. Right. Right. Absolutely. And activity level is one of those that I don't see mm. regularly, but it is in the mix. Um, mm-hmm. High activity level, you know, one thing that we'll talk about too is a lot of this does have to do with sensory processing. It really does. Mm-hmm. And how kids who are really sensitive, some of the things we do to try to help them go to sleep are actually things that don't actually help or, or even make, they could make things worse. For example, mm. some kids, I have to ask parents, they say, well, our bedtime routine is a bath and a blo- and books and blood, you know, normal. Yeah. Typical following the advice what, stuff. <laughs> what we all know to be a bedtime thing. So I, there was one couple with two little boys and I said, so does bath time make them kind of help them settle or does it wake them up? And they're like, Oh my God. They're like, after the bath, it's like party time. These little guys <laughs> run around the house with no clothes on. And I'm like, well, oh. maybe we don't do bath at bedtime, you know, <laughs> because for some kids, water is alerting. It wakes them mm. up. So then you move that bath to the middle of the day. Right. Yes. Um, for other kids who are super verbal, super visually engaged, maybe mm. a book's not the best thing. If you find that yeah. that book is causing your baby or your child to like activate, maybe no yes. book. So then we say, we'll do something auditory, right? Like music or an audio mm. book where they have to listen rather than look. So understanding yes. how sensory processing works, um, you may be. And sensory processing is also not straightforward. It's not anything you would ever guess, right? Yes. Um, So for some kids, eye contact is alerting. So Mm. I tell parents, it sounds horrible. Don't (laughs) make eye contact. Like pat, (laughs) look away, you know? Mm -hmm. And parents will tell you, they're like, oh yeah, the minute I make eye contact, it's forget it. Game on. Game on, on, right? Yeah. Game on. So understanding sensory processing. So activity level really fits also with sensory mm-hmm. processing because big muscle groups, vestibular stuff, mm-hmm. aesthetic stuff mm-hmm. is in that sensory package. So uh, if your kid is super physically active, um, it's worth either talking to an occupational therapist to just get mm. some tips and tricks yes, uh, or look at 
things that you can do with kids to help them, <clears throat> excuse me, physically settle down. Now, generally, for example, and I'm not an OT, so this is not <laughs> my area, but, but I do know that for some kids, um, for most kids, we would say, look, rough housing before bed is not okay, right? Mm-hmm. That we would say that. But for kids who, are highly, yeah, kids who are highly active have a real big, they call it proprioceptive. So your body okay. in space thing. Yes. Um, for them, rough housing or, or being rolled up in a blanket or certain mm-hmm. big things that you would think, oh, that's not a good thing to do before bed is actually really good for them. Mm. So it's worth looking into, um, if you think your kid is like this, looking into some of the websites that are about like sensory processing in small children. And there, there are a couple, I can yeah. even give you that one after we're done. Yeah, we can, we have our temperament um, page on our science of parenting website that we're Great. adding resources to as we go through this Great. season. We'd love to yeah. throw that on there. Okay. So let's start yeah. moving into, you know, you talked a little about like wake windows and yeah, like sleep. developing yeah. some routines, which we have right. a, like a bonus episode on routines and stuff. Um, right. So can we talk a little about just like your general sleep advice? So whether they have, you know, we've been talking about these more kids or these spirited kids yeah. or just yeah. your typical baby and their temperament and sleep, what kind of right. kind of general strategies and sleep insight do you have for oh, us? Boy. Okay. So, <laughs> so much. <laughs> so much. Well, I mean, I think there are some that, you know, y- you won't, you just won't see in books. So that those mm-hmm. are what I'll focus on because it's not yes. what people are really talking about. So mm-hmm. the, the first thing, when I go to work with parents and they call me and we're going to work on sleep, that I always mm-hmm. tackle the easiest things first. Duh. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them is making sure your kid gets enough as, as much nap time, as close to their nap time targets as you can. Um, and paying attention to how long a child can be awake at a time before they really need a rest for spirited Mm -hmm. alert kids. This is important because again, they will not show you that they're tired, but that Mm -hmm. their brain is tired. So Mm -hmm. kids have a certain, uh, you know, wave pattern to awake and then good go mm. their brain is like, okay, I've had enough. I'm getting ready for some sleep. Mm-hmm. If you can catch them at this low point, mm-hmm. it might be easier to get them a nap and they'll sleep longer. If you accidentally mm-hmm. wait till they're on the upswing, technically their body releases cortisol, releases chemicals that serve to Ugh. keep them awake. This is that dreaded second wind. Yeah, I'll say the second right? wind is so real. Oh man. And it's so strong. There's like no point in even trying until they hit that lull again. But that's a problem because then if they've missed a nap, then that second lull might be more challenging. So if you can yes. just try um, and, and we say, you know, especially with babies, uh, you know, under six months for sure. But, you know, mm. even, even for, say, say you have a, an eight month old and nights are horrible mm. and they're not napping in the crib. Um, we say just get naps in any way you can for a while. If you know yes. that something will work, just fill up that nap bank so that, so that you can see what the impact is on nighttime. Cause a lot of times an overtired kid in the day is going to sleep worse at night. It just, mm-hmm. it just happens. So naps and awake windows early bedtimes. Mm-hmm. Um, again, there's a, there's an evening release of melatonin. And if you can get that child in bed by seven or seven thirty, these, these are often little night owls. I mean, I, I tell a story mm-hmm. of my daughter when she was, I, my memory is like 10 months old. I don't remember really know. How old she was. <laughs> it's all a blur. <laughs> it was young. 
And I remember waiting for her to be tired at bedtime. I, I was, mm -hmm. you know, waiting, waiting, waiting. And mm -hmm. I would watch David Letterman come on and go oh. off. Now you remember he oh. came on at like 11 to 1230. And oh. I'd be like, this is, and she was going strong, not fussy, mm -hmm. not nothing. She would, she would go, she would go to sleep at, I don't know, 1230, but then she would sleep in. But then mm. you've got this terrible cycle, right? Of late bedtime, mm. late morning, and it's just never good. So if you can get mm. on a good schedule of a good early bedtime. Yes. And the other thing to know is any change you will make, any change, probably even if it's teeny tiny, your child, because they're smart as a whip, they're going to notice and they're mm. going to hate it. This is the mm. speech I give. They're going to hate it. And it's okay because you have yeah. to change stuff. You have to decide what's sustainable for you. <clears throat> I've had lots of parent clients who are doing just what we would think would be bonkers stuff to get their kid to sleep. But it's the, they, in their, you know, own experience, it's the only yes. thing that works. Yes. So I've had parents who are like, yeah, bedtime takes two hours. And I'm like, how is that for you? They're like, it's too long. So <laughs> yes. we say, okay, it's okay to change that, right? If, mm -hmm. if your toddler has gotten to you where you're reading seven books and you only want to read two, mm -hmm. you get to only read two. And just mm -hmm. know that those first couple of nights where you don't read seven, it's going to be horrible. But, but you have to, I say, push through the pushback. Mm -hmm. So if you can understand they're going to hate it, be mm -hmm. supportive and present and affirming, you know, I know. Yes. Oh, you really, if they're verbal, you really mm. hate this. And this is how we're going to do it now. And and always mm. make sure with older kids to um, let them know what's going to happen. Kids mm. like this hate surprises, right? That's a, that adaptability piece. They mm -hmm. hate surprises. So don't do it in the moment. Talk about what's going to happen. Reinforce what's going to happen. Then the next day review what's happening. You know, this is mm -hmm. for slightly older kids. Yes. Um, yeah. So um, just know. Okay. It's so one thing I it. did. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. I'll say one thing yeah, I did hear you say um, that I just want to like reiterate. This is a part of what we believe at the science of parenting, but like parents determine, is this a problem for you or do you like it? Right. right. So like right. there was a certain age where I was just like, I cannot keep, even though it was just one wake up in the night, I couldn't do it anymore. Like yeah. the requirements yeah. of my job and the things that right. I needed to do during the day, the amount of sleep I was requiring to do those things. I was like, yeah. I cannot keep getting up in the night. Right. And for, for my had friends that had kids of similar ages that were like, they wake up once and I'm pretty happy about that. And I was yeah. like, that's great. Well, you decide what you're happy about. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And because the thing is, is you're probably a light sleeper. So it's not just the waking mm. up. It's probably that you woke up <laughs> in anticipation of waking up. Then they woke up. And then you, it took you 45 minutes to get back to sleep. So it wasn't just a quickie little wake up. It's like a whole mm -hmm. thing, right? It's like mm -hmm. a whole deal. So yes, yes, you get to decide what's a problem and what's sustainable. Um, and that goes in either direction that yes, this is fine or no, I really don't want to do that anymore. Um, yes. Yeah, hundred percent. So okay. push through the I say, I do have one other thing yeah. that yeah. I want to ask you about before we go all the way into the spirited kids. Totally. Um, one of the things I've heard you say or talk about is that there's really only one kind of sleep training, like only yeah. really only one technique, quote unquote, but it's a continuum. Yeah. Right. Yeah. People think and, and you know, the parent book industry has made this problem that it sounds like there's all these different techniques. They're yes. all different. And it's like, no, actually, it's just <laughs> one. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not even a technique. It's just an idea. The idea is that mm-hmm. you're doing certain things to get your child to sleep and back to sleep. In order to get better sleep, you need to change that pattern, right? Yeah. You so the one the thing you can do is change the pattern. Change right? the Every pattern, sleep right? book is basically some form of changing the pattern. Changing the pattern. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's going from a pattern of I'm going to do all the work to you're going to do most of the work. And it depends on the age. Now, let's really remember that when we talk about altering sleep, I really wait till six months. Mm-hmm. Prior to that, you just do what works. This idea that you can do things at an early age is somehow going to set some immutable pattern for the rest of their childhood mm-hmm. is just false. It is absolutely <laughs> false. Mm-hmm. So after six months is when we can sort of start to monkey around with the sleep patterns. Mm-hmm. Um but babies learn patterns. I'm not going to call them crutches. I'm not going to call them mm. bad habits. I hate no. all the, the parent shaming around all that mm-hmm. and all the baby shaming. It's yes. just a pattern. They, they learn this is how humans go to sleep. Mm-hmm. I, I get nursed and then somehow I'm magically in my crib. So mm. that when they wake up, they need to be nursed. They need to reenact that pattern. It's just a pattern. Yes. Of That's how the pattern they're familiar sleep. with. Yeah. And it, but it's like, it's their own little map. They think this is how we do it because this is what my parents are showing me. So Mm -hmm. if you want to alter that the first time you do it, they're going to be like, what the, what, 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 what is this? I don't know. (laughs) What what are you expecting me to do? This isn't the pattern. What, what's going on. Mm -hmm. Right. So that the alteration of that pattern can, the, the difference in technique is slow to fast. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, I have a really wonderful coach colleague who says you trade tears for time. The faster mm-hmm. you go, the more crying there will be. So there, the, oh, on, the, on the heavy end, there is what we call pure extinction, cold turkey. It's out there in different advice books. Mm-hmm. The idea is you put that baby in the crib, you close the door, you don't go until morning. Most parents can't do it. And I do yes. not blame them. And I also I just personally, well, it's not even personally, based on developmental science, I can't mm-hmm. recommend that. Mm-hmm. Um, they say the, the advantage is that it only takes three nights, but that's three nights of pretty dramatic crying that's never yeah. responded to by the parents. I think, yes. and especially for intense kids, I just don't think it's going to, it's technically going to work and I can't recommend it. <laughs> now... <laughs> Um, if something happens now, I do know that there are family contexts where you do have to get that baby sleeping fast. Yes. Something happens in the family, something's going on and then mm-hmm. you're weighing, right. Then you're weighing the yes. risks and the need. So that's different. Right. So that's super fast. Then all mm-hmm. in the middle are all the, the Ferber, you know, five, 10, 15 minute go in, don't yes. pick up the baby, but you can soothe them. Um, or time checks where you go in every single five minutes and mm-hmm. whatever. Then uh, the approach that I was trained in is uh, done by Kim West, who's a social worker, the sleep mm-hmm. lady, which is called parental fading, where you start right out by the crib mm-hmm. and pat and shush and soothe. If they get really, really upset, you can pick them up, you can calm them down, you put them back and you gradually over, you know, every few days, you move a little away. That's mm-hmm. so you're kind of scat. The thing I like about that is you're scaffolding. It's yes, like, like little things, steps, little steps. And it's like, you know, I say it's like we use ideas in infancy 
that we never use the rest of their entire <laughs> childhood. You would never give a toddler a two-wheeler and go, hey, kid, good luck with that, right? Yes, I, best if of I, luck. If I show you, yeah, <laughs> if I show you how to do that, you'll never learn on your own. No. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm not going to feed you because if I do, you'll never learn how to use a spoon. No, doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. So we scaffold all the time as parents. We start out mm-hmm. right there. We hold on, then we let go, and then we hold on again, and we let go as the kid gets better and better at it. So mm-hmm. same thing you can do with sleep. So that's another one. And then the far end of the slow of the slow is the um, no cry sleep solution, which uh, is is still changing patterns, but in such tiny increments that they're, that, um, I think the book suggests really that the, there's no, you don't have to let the kid cry. You just keep kind of just keep inching along. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and all of those, you know, on this end of the scale is slow may take, I apparently might take a month. Um, uh, the fading takes, you know, a good couple of weeks all the way to three days for the extreme crying it out. Um, mm-hmm. So it's really all the same. So that means you get to pick what you're going to change. Yes. And you get Which to I think is excellent news it. for parents, like your reality, what factors, you know, your own sleep needs. If you have a co-parent, you know, like all of these factors, your baby's yep. temperament, you get to make that informed decision based on all of those right. things together. I just, oh, right. what relief. I know, it's such a relief. I know, I know. Mm-hmm. I mean, so much of my work with parents is telling them what they don't have to worry about, right? Because that whole idea yes. of having a screaming child that you're not allowed to pick up to soothe, that's hard. That's hard yeah. on parents. And it's hard on the yeah. kid too, because I think I talk about windows of tolerance for distress. Mm-hmm. And as when babies are tiny, their neurology allows for just, tiny, tiny little bits of distress (laughs) because they don't have a lot of skills to manage Mm -hmm. it. If you take a really hysterical kid and they fall asleep, everybody says that's self-soothing. I don't agree because Mm self-soothing means I can do something for myself to help myself feel better. Mm -hmm. But going to sleep is not necessarily self-soothing. Self-soothing means I'm going to suck on my hand and that will calm me down. I'm going to turn my head away and look at something else. I'm going to whatever. Tiny babies don't have any of those skills. So we have to regulate them. And as they get older, they get a few more skills. But we still don't want to push them past that upper limit. And parents of intense kids will tell you, my kid goes zero to 60. And if I don't get to them fast, it's going to be an hour, no matter what I do. I'll be holding them and they're still screaming. So even at older ages, more intense kids may still have a small window. So the Mm -hmm. idea is we don't want to under challenge them, right? Mm -hmm. You don't want to run to every little peep because then they're never getting practice at all. And you don't want to over challenge them because then they're just hysterical and nobody's learning anything. So yeah. it's okay to keep them in this zone of challenge where you're not, I say we nudge them. We, we just yes. nudge them. Well, baby you, steps, huh? baby steps. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> the key to that um, is I say, pick your battles, but fight the ones you pick. Right. Mm-hmm. So if you say, Uh, I am not going to nurse my baby all the way to sleep anymore. Then Mm -hmm. don't stop and never go back. If that's Mm -hmm. what you've picked and that you could say, that's the only thing you're going to work on. That's Mm -hmm. fine. 
but don't ever go back because mm-hmm. if you say you try for God forbid an hour and a half to get your baby to sleep without nursing them all the way to sleep on the first night. And then you go, okay, clearly this isn't working. I'm just going to nurse them and I'll try it again tomorrow. You've just set the bar because now, especially with perceptive kids, they know that nursing to sleep is on the table somewhere. Mm-hmm. And they at an hour and a half, wait, <laughs> they will wait you out. They will. Mm. So you, whatever you choose, know that it's something you definitely can do and mm. only do that. And if you're going to go gradually, always be moving forward, never backwards, never, never backwards. Yes. Um, because these kids, again, they will pick up on it. They will notice mm-hmm. and they will hold it against you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm sort of kidding, but it's sort yeah. of not, right? <laughs> kidding, but not. Yeah. Um, uh, they will notice. You mm-hmm. can't sneak up on these kids. They will notice. So you, so as parents, we have to be absolutely really on top of our game and say, I will do all these other things to help you go to sleep, but I'm not going to nurse you to sleep anymore. Or, or I'm not going to bounce on the ball. I'll walk you around. Mm -hmm. I'll hum, I'll sway, but there is no more ball. We're not Mm -hmm. doing it. So whatever Um, it is for you as a parent that you're like, I can't do this anymore. And you're, or, you know, are like, I'm ready to be done with this, whatever you decide that is. And then sticking to it, like choose something you can do that you want to do that you don't want to go back on and won't. And like I said, budget, the first one to two nights are going to be a rodeo. It's going to be crazy. So just mm-hmm. know that's going to happen. And even though it doesn't look like it's working at all, it's totally working. It's that first mm-hmm. pancake, right? That we talk about. Yes. The first pancake always looks terrible. That's yeah, okay. The second, yeah, it's not. the second night should be somehow better. Mm-hmm. Somehow better. And the third night might be somehow better. But here's where irregularity comes in mm-hmm. and intensity. Um, these kids, it's not a straight line. So one thing I noticed with working with parents and spirited intense kids is that it's kind of zigzaggy and forward and back and forward and back and, or, or one thing will fall into place and something that was working falls out. And then that comes back online and the other thing falls out, but it's just a process that just takes time and you just have to wait it out. So while we say maybe mellow kids get with the program in five days, it, it really does take a good 10 to 14 days for um, these more sensitive kids to really, really get it. Um, and, yes. it and it takes them longer to, to really completely resolve. So it's a, it's a long path, but um, mm-hmm. as long as you're seeing movement, as long as something's yes. getting better, something's Some better than it was, right? Yeah. Yes. hundred mm-hmm. percent. So the other thing I wanted to add to, so the, there's the, the temperament traits, which are okay. They're, they're fine. There's, there are other ones now that but kind of informally, nobody's at codified this, but informally, yeah. like, so that the high interaction need, mm-hmm. um, the difficulty with self-soothing, uh, is, yes. is really, is really hard. Um, then anecdotally, there have been some, I'll just tell you what I hear from parents that are just these commonalities. So interesting. Um, often a difficult labor and or birth. And that just means maybe long or kind I know me too. Me, uh, long, me. <laughs> you hear me laughing, you know, that's what I, I mean. Know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, difficult labor and or birth, uh, sometimes colic. Um, but in my, um, 
uh, and I found this in my survey, the, the temperament, a higher score on this temperament scale was predictive, you know, statistically predictive of yeah. moms having had difficult labor or birth, babies who are more likely to have had colic or reflux or apnea or eczema or food intolerance. I see that a lot. Eczema, I see a lot as almost like a systemic sensitivity. Like, I don't mm -hmm. think you can prove it. I just see it enough to know that it's a thing. Yes. Um, early alertness that, that, oh my God, she was on, like everybody commented like, that baby's really like, there's, like, there's no like foggy newborn. It's like mm -hmm. on mm -hmm. my baby. Yeah. When they wheeled her in, she was like looking at me and I was like, <laughs> are newborns supposed to do that? <laughs> <laughs> and she did not sleep all the time when she was a newborn. I mean, it was impossible to get her to sleep, you know? Mm -hmm. So um, there are sort of these anecdotal factors that seem to be part of, of it. This uh, real need to be close to you, to interact with you, to prefer mm -hmm. interacting with you. I mean, that's exhausting, but it's also a really good thing, right? Like they're yes. learning a lot. We know we have so much good stuff to share with parents on the rest of the temperament traits, but we were yeah. like, we cannot wait till we get through all nine traits to talk about sleep. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Um, uh, let me just quickly, we were going to talk about ages and stages a little bit with oh, sleep yeah. because um, so a lot of the people I get uh, have babies, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, babies are their own thing. And we kind of mm -hmm. talked about that. But mm -hmm. then I often get people with three-year-olds for some reason and three-year-olds, mm -hmm. uh, three and four-year-olds, the three-year-olds and, and they're, I mean, I can actually say they're two different sets of problems that I typically get. Three-year-olds are the ones, that, <laughs> if I see them when they're three, uh, I say that it's because they're drunk with power. <laughs> oh. So three-year-olds, the spirited, intense three-year-olds are the ones where parents are saying it takes two hours. They're constantly coming out of their room. They want us to do one more thing. We're reading seven books and then they want to drink. And then they're coming back out and they want this and they're, you know, it's just a lot of, a yes. lot of shenanigans at bedtime. So that's when we say these kids need an almost rigid routine, an almost rigid process. And now I'm not a rigid person. I was very much go with the flow, but I do see how this would have helped in, mm -hmm. in my parenting that you, there's no wiggle room. There's no wiggle room. Like you set something and you never say just for tonight because those kids think, <laughs> well, if it's just for tonight, then how come it's not just for every night, right? Then you've got that battle. Yeah. So you set a routine. Again, you tell them what it's going to be. Maybe you make a chart. Maybe you do mm -hmm. something to help them keep track of it. Mm -hmm. um, and then you just stick with that come hell or high water. Mm -hmm. uh, the other thing that helps with three-year-olds uh, often is floor time. Do you guys talk about floor time at all? No. Tell, tell me more about that. Yeah. So um, floor time is especially helpful too, if it's a three-year-old with a brand new baby sibling. So mm -hmm. um, floor time is a very simple thing to do, which is why I talk about it. It's you give your child, this is a Greenspan, I think. Okay. Um, you give your child 20 minutes of soul, you know, solely focused play. So you take them one-on-one -on -one and mm -hmm. the key is that they get to be the boss. They decide mm -hmm. what to play. They decide the rules. They decide who you're going to be. They decide what you're going to, you, you literally are just there to follow their lead for 20 minutes and everybody can yes. do 20 minutes. Yeah. And with three-year-olds, I think and all kids, but 
for some reason, three-year-olds specifically, it gives them that, that moment. Of, I know it gives them that moment of being in charge mm -hmm. and also having your focused attention. So mm -hmm. just doing 20 minutes at some point in the routine or right before the routine, I think is a simple, easy thing to do. And every parent that's so simple to do. And it really has these weird benefits that you would never um, yes. have imagined. I've heard so the thrilled. term special time, like it's special time. dedicated yeah, yeah. to your attention. They yeah. take the lead. Yes. That's, so we've yeah, used that term before, I think, but so yeah. floor time, very similar, but that it's dedicated yeah. and that it can help yeah. promote sleep, like, you know, help promote right. the routine and yeah. yes. Yeah. And, or like I said, you could do a routine with some, like I said, bedtime yoga, they have little kids, little mm -hmm. yoga things or, um, or like a, a mindfulness CD. They have great stuff now for kids. Yes. Um, so, so things like that. The four-year-olds that I see also have often some difficulty with the bedtime shenanigans. Mm -hmm. um, so rigid routine and also um, very boring responses, like mm -hmm. especially if they're very verbal. I had one family where we just stopped having parents use words and mm -hmm. the, the, the child would say, I, I need one more hug. And they'd walk to the doorway and they'd just go, Oh, like so they no do like words. a visual cue, no words. And no words. Words, words got her going. Gr mm -hmm. Words got her into a conversation. So so you, you may have to really be get a little creative on that. Um, mm -hmm. But that works for four-year-olds as well. Like no negotiation. I mean, and I don't mean being mean. I just mean no. don't get into a zone that's going to cause them to engage more. You really mm -hmm. want to help them sensorily wind down and turn off so we don't explain a lot of stuff you just may have a mantra time for time for bed time for bed time for bed oh yes 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 <laughs> right um and then four-year-olds uh one one thing that happens with four and kids and up is some of these kids um then get bed fears right their mm. brains that very active brain Yes. goes places. And that's when we say, you know, there are those typical tricks about monsters and everything like that. It's, I say it not so much that I actually have an intervention for it. Um, but, but it does happen. And, um, and so then for four-year-olds, then it, well, you have to decide number one, is this a specific fear or is this some anxiety? And I would say, mm -hmm. don't hesitate to contact a child therapist to just work yeah. through that and get some good techniques for, fears because um, these big thinking kids, they, they really can see all the possibilities and their brain, again, their minds can really run away with them. So um, again, for these little ones, giving them techniques for how to calm that brain down, how mm -hmm. to focus, how to whatever, those are good skills. But uh, if it mm -hmm. starts looking like anxiety, um, I, yeah, I would just say there's no, there's no harm, no shame in contacting a, a clinician about that. if any of our listeners have ever watched us live they we always kind of start out on facebook lives walking through our beliefs you know and our ground rules and one of them is we share information you decide how to use it for your family and we have information we are not you know interventionists we're yeah. sharing information with you we encourage you to seek out those experts locally find yeah. the services and the resources that are available to support your family Absolutely right. That. right and any of these things you know there's also the next stage beyond spirited when you really have a kid who's experiencing like massive meltdowns or it's really just unsustainable um it, it goes from you know mellow 
to challenging to, I think this is more than just challenging. And when that happens, it's really appropriate to reach out. Um, Yeah, there's really good resources out there. So don't, Mm -hmm. I I would say don't, don't hesitate to get some really good input on on what might be happening. Um, You you can look into sensory processing that that's a thing meltdowns are related. So that would be an occupational therapist. And then Mm -hmm. for the rest of it, that would be, uh, you know, just a play therapist or a a child therapist. then the other things to look out for that also impact sleep that are not necessarily specific to spirited kids, just kids in general, but I see it more often that, and it's not getting caught, um, that can disrupt sleep. That has nothing to do with temperament. And that uh, one is night terrors. So mm-hmm. night terrors are when a kid uh, wakes up generally in the first part of the night, first half, and it looks like a nightmare, but you can tell they are not totally awake or they don't remember mm. it in the next morning. That's a night terror. Mm. They don't mm. remember it. They're not experiencing it. It's not a nightmare. Uh, if it happens once or twice, not a big deal. If it happens mm. a lot, you should mention it to your pediatrician. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a little gadget that you can get that will, uh, and I'll send you the name of that, that, um, mm-hmm. that will read it's like a thing you put under the mattress and it will read Mm. when your child's about to have one and it like gently jiggles the mattress. So it kind of gets them Mm. over that hump and Mm -hmm. retrains their brain not to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, Nightmares are more like when kids are four or five, Um, Mm -hmm. there's no way to really prevent them. Um, And there's, I think already a lot of good strategies, but the one that that gets overlooked is uh, apnea, Mm. apnea and restless legs. So um, sleep apnea, children should, outside of a cold should really never snore mm-hmm. or breathe through their mouth. So if your kid is doing it a lot, like you're like, mm-hmm. Oh yeah, consistently. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and they have a, or potentially have a sweaty head when they wake up. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a time to go in and get uh, a check through the pediatrician because we do. Um, one of my very first clients had a three-year-old who was not mm-hmm. sleeping. It was bad, bad, bad. And that kid ended up having two, both kinds of, there's two kinds of apnea. He had both of them and restless legs. Once wow. those things got fixed, slept like a dream. Yeah. Uh, and you do, I want to mention, you yeah. do have um, a post on your website, which we'll post in our temperament resources, where you talk about seven things, seven questions to ask when right. nothing's working, because we do, when we want to check for those physical symptoms. We want to know what's going on with our kids and advocate for them. You know yeah. that like I'm doing what I know how to do. I'm trying to use the trustworthy information and I need to like check for these other things too. Yeah. Cause you could do any kind of sleep training. You could stand on your head. And if your kid's not breathing, um, <sighs> they're not going to sleep well. Um, yeah. And the other, the related one is restless legs, which is if they, if they're verbal, they can tell you if they ever complain of like tickly or itchy legs, or mm-hmm. they, they, they seem like they're moving their legs around a lot when they're trying to get to sleep. Restless mm-hmm. legs has to do with um, low ferritin levels. So often mm-hmm. uh, just getting an iron, getting it tested and then getting an iron supplement clears that up. But again, the kid's not physically comfortable if they're not, that's why kids with reflux, silent yeah. reflux, or um, some of these other physiological symptoms as a baseline that impacts sleep, you have a sensitive kid on top of that and and that will be why they can't go to sleep or why your sleep mm. work isn't working. So yes. yeah, yeah, 100%. Yes. Excellent. 
Okay, yeah. McCall, you have shared so much good stuff with us talking about I love it. You know, which temperament traits, you know, some of the highs and lows of it, um, you know, talking about it at the different ages. And then you've brought some great strategies kind of in general yeah. or knowing that some of that general sleep advice is harder for certain parents and kids. And so yeah. bringing some of that spirited advice in as well, which we have yeah. future episodes coming specifically on that feisty spirited kind of temperament Good. so we can look forward to that but thank you so much for coming of course, on it's us. a pleasure a pleasure i love it yes so thank you for talking research and reality and of the totally. sleep and temperament here on the science of parenting podcast oh Okay, isn't she so good? I loved everything she had to say. <laughs> that was awesome. Oh, oh, I could have talked to her forever. And I kind of did talk to her forever. <laughs> yeah, heads up, uh, this is going to be a little bit longer than usual, yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> it was just so good. We couldn't stop. So just a reminder of the traits she talked about. She talked about a low sensory threshold, or in other terms, a highly sensitive temperament. She mm -hmm. also talked about highly persistent children, higher intensity children, children who have higher perceptiveness or that distractibility, as well as less adaptable. Yes. And so all those traits can affect how our kids sleep, how much they stay asleep, mm. how we help them soothe. All those things um, can play into that. And whether your kids got on the extremes of lots of those traits or maybe one or two. And she so. had so many great tips to share. Oh, so many. Okay. And a reminder of just a few of those in terms of sleep in general, she talked about understanding appropriate wake windows, how long kids can handle being asleep. She reminded us that all kind of sleep training is basically about one strategy, which is changing the patterns. And that mm -hmm. continuum can fall from a cry it out strategy of changing patterns to a no cry strategy. And so parents get to decide, um, you know, where they'd like to fall on that continuum. And she reminded us, like we believe at the science of parenting, you get to decide about your family. And so she reminded us that same thing with sleep. You decide what's a problem. You decide what's working well for you. Um, so you get to determine what's a sleep problem in your family. And then she also talked a little bit about these spirited kids or these kids who maybe just have a little more on right. the extremes of temperament. And she reminded us with our children who maybe are spirited that we might have to be prepared to push through their pushback mm -hmm. and that providing some uber is the word she used, some yes. uber consistency or almost kind of what might feel like rigid to us, providing mm -hmm. lots of consistency for our kids who are spirited can also help us tackle any challenges we're having with sleep. Mm -hmm. So much good stuff. She had so much good insight to share. I'm excited for you all to uh, have listened to this and go back and listen to it and mm. keep it on uh, you repeat yes we just appreciate that. i know i will <laughs> yes we appreciate that you sent us questions about can you talk about sleep more so mm -hmm. we want to thank you for joining us on the science of parenting podcast today and remember to subscribe to our weekly audio podcast on apple or spotify or your favorite podcast app Watch the show on video each week on Facebook. And once in a while, we will have you join us live <laughs> and we can take your comments and questions. Absolutely. So please come along with us as we tackle the ins and outs, the ups and downs, and the research and reality all around the science of parenting.
The Science of Parenting is a research-based education program hosted by Lori Haynes and Mackenzie Johnson, produced by Mackenzie DeYoung with research and writing by Barbara Dunn Swanson. Send in questions and comments to parenting at iastate.edu and connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. This program is brought to you by Iowa State University Extension and Outreach. This institution is an equal opportunity provider. For the full non-discrimination statement or accommodation inquiries, go to www.extension.iastate.edu slash diversity slash ext.